0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Wednesday morning and that's time for our Health Hacks with Dr. Glenn Davies. One of our most popular features now, Glenn. You'd be happy to know. Great to see you. You're creating pressure on me, aren't you? <laughs> no pressure, Glenn. <laughs> no pressure. But I tell you, um, and I should really share some of the feedback on that, you, you have informed people so so much because they tell me that you have. So it it really is helping. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you, Paul. Um, it's probably quite a good lead into our disclaimer, though that that this is yep, all yep. about giving information, empowering people, but it's not designed to be individual medical advice. Um, people still need to discuss this with their healthcare provider. Um, this this is this is all about the empowerment of people and the education.
0: Yeah. Bang on, and fair enough. Okay, the big C, the big C this week, and I have have experience of the big C, so I'm going to be fascinated to hear what you have to say about it. Where do you want to start?
1: Yeah, so I just want to start by saying that the oncologists that deal with cancer are exceptionally good at what they do. So what we're talking about today are complementary add-ons to what the oncologists and the oncology teams recommend. So I I think the chemotherapy, radiation, uh, immunotherapy, surgery, they they all are fantastic treatments, so I don't want anyone to think of what I'm talking about as alternative treatments. This is complementary, and what you will have noticed, many of the things we talk about, like the mental health last week, it's combining a whole lot of different things together to make each single one of them more powerful. So we're going to talk about seven things that you could add to your oncology treatment to make the outcome better, to make yourself more well while you're having treatment, uh, and yeah to make those treatments just much more powerful,
0: yeah, I wonder if we could start because I remember being told I had it, and it was quite a blow, even though I suspected that I might that there could be a possibility. How should we and I'm not asking you to you know to give us a, a you know like a hard and fast but that's heavy news, man.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And and I think the key is truth and reality. You know, we don't want to be over-optimistic and, and ignore things, yet we don't want to be over-pessimistic, you know, and I think it's just truthfulness. But I hope what I'm going to share today is that there is more hope than what people may initially, initially think, because these things that we're going to talk about are powerful adjuncts to the powerful treatments that we already have available. So I think there's more hope. And cancer, I don't think any longer is a death sentence like it may have been viewed 30 years ago. Uh, I think we're actually getting pretty good at treating it.
0: Well, I am proof of that.
1: Yes, you are. And And look at you, vibrant, vibrant and thriving.
0: If I ever met the guy who designed that radiation machine, I would get on my knees and thank him or her because uh, what a piece of gear and and everything else. Okay, seven points. Which one do you want to start with? Well, um, what I want to start
1: with is a concept. So let's um, design a, a picture of what cancer cells are. So I'm wanting to take you back to the very beginning of life on earth. And let's go back to the primordial soup. So this was before there were plants. So before there was oxygen and imagine a whole lot of single cell organisms with their little uh, tails, all swimming around in this massive soup. And let's think about what those single cell organisms are trying to do. So number one, they're trying to reproduce themselves as quickly as possible. Number two, they're trying to use up as much of the resource that they can so that the other single-cell organisms can't have them. They're trying to move into other parts of the pond and occupy that part of the pond, and they're trying to take that part of the pond over from the single-cell organisms that are already living there. So am I presenting a picture of what cancer cells try and do?
0: I thought you were describing um, life as we know it at the moment. Just with more cells,
1: <laughs> possibly. No, I'm yeah. talking. I'm talking about an analogy, a way to think of um, cancer yeah. cells. Um, so on the the final part is before there were any plants, so there was no oxygen. So let's think of cancer cells as primitive cells yeah. that are trying to reproduce themselves, trying to use up as much of the uh, resources as available trying to move to other parts and trying to take over from the cells that are already there. And that's a really good way of thinking of cancer. And they're a bit dumb and stupid. You know, these cells are primitive. They're not like the modern cells with all of their sophisticated biochemistry. They're primitive, dumb, stupid cells. And that allows us some opportunities to weaken them that we haven't had in the past and we haven't talked about a lot in mainstream oncology. So so that's what I'm going to go on and talk about. So the first uh, thing I want to talk about is a scientist called Otto Wahlberg. So Otto Wahlberg back in 1930, he won the Nobel prize for medicine and physiology. And what he worked out is that the primitive cancer cells use a primitive form of respiration, they are only able to convert one glucose molecule into two ATP molecules. Whereas the modern cells can change one glucose molecule into 36 energy molecules. So there's a difference of 18, an 18-fold difference between glycolysis and oxidative phosphorylation. So that shows us that cancer cells use a lot of glucose compared with normal cells. Now, most people that have had cancer will have had a PET scan. I'm not sure if you had, yeah, a I had one. Scan. <laughs> I had one. So what happens with a PET scan is you attach a radioactive isotope to glucose and you inject that into the body because cancer cells are so hungry for glucose, they take up. 18 times the amount of glucose compared with normal cells. And then when you take an X-ray of the whole body, you see these um, patches in the body that light up, and that's how you identify where the cancer is. And a PET scan is done particularly to look at for cancer in lymph nodes or in distant sites. Now, the fact that that is used as a tool to pick up cancer tells us that cancer cells consume glucose So what if we didn't give them any glucose? What if we starved them of their fuel source? Then they are likely to weaken and best case scenario, um, die. So don't give them any glucose. So the first thing I would say is if you have cancer or you have had cancer or you are at risk of cancer, sugar is a poison. Wow. You know, sugar is a poison for anyone with cancer and just stay well away from it, you know, and that PET scan is the example of that. So sugar is a poison if you have cancer.
0: I remember when I had my PET scan result phoned through to me. I was on the bus. Yeah. Going, (laughs) yeah, on the bus going into town, and I knew it was imminent, and I knew the number of the oncologist, and I knew it was him. And I thought, this is probably it. And from a, mom- a moment there, I was like, oh. And, of course, I'm sitting on the bus with a whole lot of passengers. Anyway, I got on the phone and he said, hi, it's you know so-and-so here. Got the result of your PET scan. And it's clear. And I was on the bus and I went, great! And I yelled <laughs> it out and the person sitting next to me like, what? Are you okay? I was, sorry, sorry. I just had some really good news, you know. Um, I remember that moment. Speaking about those cells. Um, I mean, we make those cells in our body, but they sound like they're sort of like foreign entities, by the way, you're talking about them.
1: Um, no, they're still part of us. They've just regressed. They're, they're sophisticated cells that have lost their, I don't know, their culture. Uh, their programming? Culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, they're, they've just got a bit uncouth. You know, they've um, degenerated.
0: Like dinosaur cells, you know, like, Reptilian sort of version.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so that's an analogy, a good way to think of them. And everything that I talk about is is feeding into that concept of them being primitive, but our normal cells, our non-cancerous cells being sophisticated, therefore we can differentially um, affect the cancer cells and leave our our sophisticated normal cells alone. So don't give them any sugar, but it's more than that. Think about a ketogenic diet or a low-carbohydrate diet because I've said this before, all carbohydrates, that's your breads, your rice, your potatoes, um, your cakes, your flour, your biscuits, all of that gets turned into blood glucose. So it's not just the sugar you eat, it's all the carbs that you eat that becomes blood glucose. So a ketogenic diet or a low-carbohydrate diet has a role in cancer because it will support our sophisticated cells that can use fats and ketones, but will starve the cancer cells. So point number one um, is avoid sugar. Point number two is consider a low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet to starve them, put them under pressure, and make them more vulnerable to the other treatments.
0: So do they, they still hang on, though, right? They're still clinging to anything that they can get. You, you, you're trying to sort of like wing them or... or- obviously take them out, but they're pretty hardy, aren't they? I mean, they are.
1: Well, best-case scenario, we starve them to death. More reality is that we weaken them and make them more vulnerable to the other treatments that we're using in conjunction. Right,
0: yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah, so a lot of people say, I don't know how to eat when I've got cancer. To me, the answer is a low-carbohydrate diet, That is full of nutrients and vitamins that will nourish our healthy cells, but the low-carbohydrate or keto aspect is going to weaken the cancer cells.
0: And is that normally recommended? Because I don't remember that being recommended to me. Mind you, I had uh, cancer in the throat, and I got a hole drilled in my tummy to be fed by liquid. So I I suppose that really wasn't a thing that they needed to Mm -hmm. talk to me about.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how much the oncology teams talk about healthy nutrition, but I suspect this may be new information for most people with cancer.
0: Okay, all right. So the idea is to starve out, literally, mm-hmm. starve out the cells. Exactly, right.
1: yes. Now, number two. Fasting, so we talked about fasting in our our first show when we talked about breakfast. So fasting, again, it's going to starve the cells of nutrients, but it's also taking away the growth factors. So these cells need insulin, insulin insulin-like growth factor, mTOR, AMPK, these are all cells which trigger the growth of, of cells. If we have periods of time where they're not getting the growth message, that's going to slow down the growth of cancer. So I think there's definitely a place for fasting, but it needs to be done in a considerate way. Uh, you know, there's many people with cancer who are struggling to maintain their weight. So I'm not suggesting that long fasting is an important part for everyone with cancer, but I think it's something for everyone with cancer to consider. Um, so so not,
0: are you saying that um, uh, that y- you shouldn't, like, go full fasting, like nothing for as long as you possibly can? Though- no,
1: because, you know, there may be people who, that, that just may not be practical or wise for everyone with cancer. Um, I'm wanting people to explore the concept. Uh, this idea we talked about of reducing the eating window, Um, With intermittent fasting that may be an option but what I found in the research that was particularly interesting is with radiation if people fast the day before their radiotherapy the day of and the day after it protects the normal cells but makes the cancer cells more vulnerable so you've created this differential where we're getting benefit for the normal cells and increased death rate for the cancer cells we've reduced the collateral damage and people say that they feel better they get less side effects from the radiation and the chemotherapy if they're fasting so i think this is a really important concept and something to discuss with the you know the oncology teams but i was really excited when i read that the fasting on the day before the day of and the day after radiation reduce the side effects, and potentially makes the radiation more powerful.
0: Wow, okay. I don't remember being told that. Yeah. Mind you, we're going back 10 years here.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it may be that this is more modern than that. Um, So, Mm. yeah.
0: Okay. Though it makes sort of common sense, yeah, starve them out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And remember that. You know, when you're fasted, that's where apoptosis occurs. So that, that word is the the removal of damaged cells, uh, and then those cells are recycled. So those damaged cells are removed in the fasted state, and when we've got cancer cells, when we've got cancer, there's more damaged cells to remove. So it makes sense that we extend that window of time where those cancerous cells can be removed. So I love the idea of intermittent fasting for people who have cancer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the, the removal of these cells, uh, I, I guess the body attempts to do it. Is it just that they're overwhelmed by the speed of the growth? Is it?
1: It can be that, but to some extent, if you think of the cancer cells got this little flag that goes up and says to the immune system, "I'm an abnormal cell," and the immune system recognizes and goes and, des- and destroys it. In some cases, that flag doesn't go up. So the immune system can't recognize that as an abnormal cell. You know, that's that's part of the problem. Um, But let's just say that rather than it being a big flag, it's just a, a little stalk. You know, if there's more time for the immune system to recognize that cell as abnormal, more chance of it being picked up.
0: Okay. Are we on to number four?
1: We're on to number three. You're rushing. Oh, sorry, ahead. I'm jumping
0: ahead. I, I, I apologize.
1: we are on to number starving. three.
0: I, it's not fasting. This is starving.
1: <laughs> starving cancer. So um, I'd, I'd like people to uh, think of a book called How to Starve Cancer. It's by Jane McClellan. So How to Starve Cancer by Jane McClellan. Now, she's an English physiotherapist who uh, has read a whole lot of the basic science around cancer. And she's worked out that there are metabolic pathways that can be blocked uh, to increase the starving of the cancer uh, that we've already talked about. So she uses a lot of sort of um, medicines that have been around for a long time. Uh, for example, aspirin is an example. And she uses a number of supplements, again, that have been around for a long time to block the metabolic pathways to stop the fuel getting into the cancer cell. Now, so far we've talked about glucose, but uh, as cancer cells adapt, sometimes they can learn to use other fuel sources. So they can learn to use protein, particularly uh, glutamate, and eventually they might learn to use fats or ketones. So we can block those other pathways to, you know, to, Starve that cancer cell more effectively, so that book, "How to Starve Cancer" is a fascinating book. It's complex, there's a lot of information in there, but I've started prescribing these off label medicines and supplements for people with cancer just to really starve it you know um and you know you obviously can't fast forever. Uh, And the body still produces some glucose. So this is taking it to the next level. So How to Starve Cancer, Jane McClellan, um, an essential read, I believe, if you've got uh, cancer. And, you know, I think she used to rattle. Uh, She used to be taking, I think, over 20, you know, potions and pills and supplements every day. And you don't necessarily have to do that. But the concept of using some of these medications to block the cancer metabolism is a fantastic one. So, Jane McClellan, how to starve cancer? It's
0: like fighting a war, isn't it? You've got all these different sort of weapons available to you. You've got to deploy them onto the battlefield, and you've got to use them in the right order, the
1: right way. Indeed, and and to follow your analogy a little bit further, one of the tactics in war is to blow up the bridges so that the um, supplies can't get to the troops. And I think that's more what we're trying to do here where, you know, one we've we've got our naval blockade stopping the ships getting in, and then we've gone in, uh, the resistance has gone in and blown up the bridges, (laughs) you know, so it's more difficult for those trucks to bring in the supplies.
0: Good way of uh, of visualising it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay, all right. Um, Anything more to say about starving out cancer?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I guess number four, what we're going to talk about, um, intravenous vitamin C. Now, this is a, a fascinating area and possibly a, a talk um, all by itself, but um, glucose and vitamin C are almost identical in chemical structure. And our primitive cancer cells are a bit dumb and stupid, and they can't tell the difference between uh. the vitamin C molecule and the glucose molecule. Now, we've already starved them, so they're hungry as. Then we put intravenously this big dose of what... I, I know where this is
0: going. I know where this yeah. is going. Yeah, carry on.
1: Yeah, we, we inject a big dose of what they think is glucose. They take it up in huge amounts because they're dumb and stupid and a bit primitive. They don't have any control mechanism. They take up way too much. They get full and bloated. Um, best case scenario, they they explode, but probably more realistically, when they break down that huge amount of vitamin C, they turn it into um, uh, hydrogen peroxide. And the hydrogen peroxide is a toxin within the cell, and it hopefully kills the cell or weakens it further through toxicity. So that's probably how the intravenous vitamin C works. Now, notice that I'm talking about intravenous vitamin C. This is massive doses uh, delivered straight into the the vein. You would never achieve the doses high enough to deal to cancer cells by taking it orally. But intravenous vitamin C may have a place, especially if you combine it with the fasting and a low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet.
0: Is that offered up as part of standard treatment or would you have to request that? How do you go about getting that?
1: Yeah, so intravenous vitamin C is now used in ICU ICU units and medical wards for sepsis, but um, you would have to access it through a a private facility. And in most big centres in the country, there are places offering intravenous vitamin C.
0: Okay, so it is, you can get it, all
1: right? It's available, yep.
0: Okay, yeah. that's a very that's a very clever it's a very clever thing to do to form the yeah, cell, basically. Yeah,
1: and see how we're it's all going back to this um, differential of the the modern cells being sophisticated enough to manage these um, things, whereas the dumb primitive cells don't have the machinery or the intelligence to manage these things. So we're we're differentially starving or damaging the cancer cells but protecting the normal cells
0: you started talking about the you know the primitive world the soup with no oxygen mm. and i'm presuming oxygen will 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 come up are we there
1: yet yeah so you're onto it because you know if these cancer cells developed before there was oxygen oxygen's not going to be good for them and Cancer cells like putrid, low oxygen situations. They don't like oxygen. So, any way that you can increase the oxygenation of the body, the cancer cells won't like it. So, it might be as simple as breathing. And as crazy as that sounds, many of us don't breathe well. You know, many of us are not fully oxygenating our bodies. So, just the act of breathing correctly. Uh, is a cancer treatment. Wow. Uh, and again, we, we could probably could spend a whole session on correct breathing. And in fact, I listened to an hour and a half to a breathing expert uh, a week ago. Uh, so correct abdominal breathing. Anyone that's a singer will understand abdominal breathing. Uh, getting more oxygen into the system is a cancer treatment.
0: Okay, so what about, you know, emergency procedures here, getting an oxygen tank and putting a mask on? I mean, would that would do it, wouldn't it?
1: Uh, yes, it would. It would help, but it probably doesn't have to be as complicated as that. Either just exercise. When we exercise, we increase the oxygenation of our body. So even people who are having chemotherapy or radiation therapy, something as simple as walking to the letterbox and back, you know, getting more oxygen delivered into the system. But leading on to what you were just talking about, um, hyperbaric oxygen is a cancer treatment. Uh, That's, you know, accessed through hyperbaric chambers, again, which are in many of the major centres. And there's something I haven't explored fully, but there's also ozone treatment. I, I don't know a lot about that, but I know there's, clinics that offer ozone treatment uh, with the same principle of of dramatically increasing the oxygen content in the blood.
0: Okay. Um, you could always go flying on aeroplanes, though I think they have ozone filters, don't they? So,
1: Yeah, and yeah. actually, interestingly, the oxygen uh, level in a plane is low, um, particularly at the back of the plane. Um, I, th- I think you it's about four percent lower in the back of the plane compared with the front okay you learn something every day (laughs) i knew everything (laughs) about planes have you got cancer sit at the front
0: yeah okay yeah um one a (laughs) please
1: yeah more there's more leg room there too (laughs)
0: yeah you got to pay the extra for it though but hey it's worth it right it's worth it uh hyperbaric that's a pressurized environment isn't it
1: yeah so you probably know about that about um scuba diving and decompression chambers so yeah, but there's, there's um, kind of canvas ones that are much less expensive about the size of a person and people have them at home um, and, and they, they do have them in, in clinics as well. So uh, a more practical version.
0: Not available from the warehouse or Bunnings or anything like that, though.
1: No, no, they're not. Not yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe after to today. But if you, if you can find a similar stocked item uh, at a lower <laughs> price, we'll, we'll beat you by 15%. I got
0: my chamber 15% cheaper at <laughs> the other place. What are you going to do for me now? <laughs> All right. Well, that's interesting. I can see how this is piling on now. You know, um, it, everything a- adds a factor, right? And already we're. Uh, you know we have talked to, well, we're up to five things already, and yeah I, i'm se- mm. I'm seeing I'm seeing you know what we're talking about here. are we done are we done with oxygen? because I can see the next one which uh, interests me. It's the word that everybody likes to hear, so I've got cancer, that is the mm. remission word. Uh, you've got it titled as radical remission.
1: Yeah, so I'm referring to a book by an author called Kelly A. Turner. And she wrote a book called Radical Remission, and uh, the sequel was called Radical Hope. And she did something which seems incredibly logical and sensible to me. She interviewed a 1,000 people who had had unexpected recoveries from uh, advanced cancer. And all she did was ask them what they did. Uh, it seems bizarre to me that no one had thought to do that before now, but She simply asked a 1,000 people who had had unexpected cures from cancer what they did and wrote down what they did. And there were sort of nine things that the majority of people did, Uh, and those I think are very um, therapeutic. Now, I'm not sure I'll remember all nine, but thoroughly recommend uh, the book. But one of them was that every person was proactive. They were not patient. They were not a patient. The word patient comes from the Latin word party. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it means to be subservient, to be patient, to do as you're told. And I tell everyone with cancer that's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to be waiting around patiently on waiting lists. You want to be a pain in the ass and insisting that you get what you want and what you need when you need it. So every one of them were proactive and they would have been looking at all of these options and more and considering them and weighing them up, you know, so being proactive, everyone had a strong reason to live. Now I'm not saying I don't want to die. That's not a strong enough reason. You know, a strong reason to live is I want to be here for my purpose or my life has An incredible. Yeah, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. All right. Yeah. And I know why I want to be here. I know why I need to be here. It may be for my family, it may be for my grandchildren. You know, someone said to me, um, I need to be around for my niece's 21st because (laughs) I have some really embarrassing stories to tell that no one (laughs) else knows. And I've got to be there to tell those stories, you know. So, a absolutely strong reason to live, and every single one of those people had that.
0: Yeah, actually, it just reminded me because uh, I've known relatives over the time who, you know, in their final days, they've held on for someone to to arrive mm-hmm. who was coming from overseas or something, and you know, and they've somehow they've managed to do that even though they l- looked like they maybe couldn't. And then when exactly. that person had turned up, they kind of let it go. Then you know. Hmm.
1: Spot on. Exactly. So rather than um, so exactly as as you've said, but, um, you know, years earlier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Slightly different context, but the same sort of effect, you know, the same, the
1: will. The will. Exactly. And then there were other things. They um, radically changed their diet. They used supplements. Uh, They acknowledged that they were part of something bigger than themselves you know so they acknowledged the energy of the universe or however you would describe uh, that concept they recognized that they were part of something bigger than themselves they um, had a supportive community and they used that supportive community and I think I'm probably at about seven so there's a couple more that I've forgotten
0: yeah I can I can I can personally relate to that, actually. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of more dealing with the emotional side of it. You know, everything we've talked about has been metabolic. It's been around starving the cancer. You know, this is bringing in the the incredible power of of the mind uh, and using that as a tool.
0: You're almost um, reprogramming your um nanoscale elements in a way aren't you
1: yes absolutely yeah
0: i can't think of that's a, <laughs> a, 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 a bit of a clumsy way of saying or whatever but yeah you, you you're almost like re, kind of re, rewiring things. i i
1: think the i think the reason that it's it's difficult to describe is it's perhaps getting into these areas that we don't understand quite as clearly but that there are influences that we can channel uh, that are powerful, even though we might struggle to describe them clearly.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, I imagine um, for people who have got a very serious, what they think is maybe even a terminal cancer, suddenly having remission must be an incredible experience.
1: Yeah, and I, I think what, I, what I'm hoping people will get from this is that there is hope over and above what they may have been told because if we added every single one of these things on there, we are going to make the situation better and the existing treatment more powerful. So, you know, that's that's really what this message is about.
0: All right, that's radical remission. Mm-hmm. We're up to visualisation now. I'm yeah, interested so, in this one.
1: So, Paul, have have you ever heard of, parents buying a wart from their children? No. Okay, so how this works is you say to the child, uh, I want you to focus on that wart on your thumb, focus all your attention on it for five minutes a day and that's going to make the wart go away and if you can do that, I'm going to buy you the uh, bicycle that that you've always wanted, for example. And They really, really focus all their attention onto the wart. They look at it, they can lick it, they can poke it, they can just picture it going away, and sometimes the wart will go away. So what's happening there, rather than the immune system being in its general surveillance mode, we've turned it into a laser beam and focused it onto the wart. And I know that's gonna sound totally woo-woo, but it works. You know we know that warts will just spontaneously resolve in in all children. This is kind of like just speeding that process up. We know that the immune system recognizes it as a virus infected um, cell and gets rid of it. We've just sped that process up by visualization so my recommendation is that we can do the same with internal tumors so we can picture um, you know that that tumor being removed. Now, when I first started talking about this with people, I I told them to picture a war scene, you know, bazookas, tanks, um, soldiers, guns. You know, like. But then um, a uh, an oncologist who's become a very good friend called Anna Goodwin. She said to me, "Well, no, the the cancer is still part of us. Um, it's more like a teenager that's gone off the rails. We need to sort of more." Treat it with tough love, rather than blowing the shit out of it. Even though sometimes that's what you want to do to your teenagers, we never do, of course. And yeah, when we this tough love approach, so however you set up that visualization, um, I think if you can bring an element of self love to it, I think it's important. So, um, and I think that that tough love concept towards a teenager is a really good way to treat. This cancer, which is still part of us,
0: I can speak to that um, because I went through that myself, and I, I did that, and that's a very good way of putting it—tough love. And if you don't mind, I, I'll just tell you very quickly what I did because I had a lot of time to do it. I was in, in bed basically for for about two and a half, three months. Pretty well, I had a lot of time on my hands, and I felt like crap. I got to say through a lot of it from radiation and chemotherapy, and and no one told me that I should do that but I felt naturally that I should and what I did is that I I literally told my body what I expected of it I said you've got all the tools I'm the boss here I'm commanding every resource in here to do and you know I don't need to tell you what to do you know what to do do it and go hard and I I did that all the time for about three months probably 10, 20, 30 times a day. I didn't visualize on the physical, well, yeah, on the location I did. So I didn't like, you know, the battle scene thing. I, I didn't see it like that. But w- what I did was I, 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 yeah, literally commanded like, you know, the general, it's an order and it's my expectation. I'm not taking anything else except that you do it. And I did that over and over. Now, obviously, the treatment I had was the main factor in, in getting rid of it. But one thing I did find out um, at the end of the process was uh, I was told by one of my oncologists that I was the fastest recovering patient for this sort of cancer that they'd ever seen. And, okay, I'm only in the Wellington area. <laughs> the world's huge. There would have been others. But they were quite surprised at that given I was late stage, you know, um, and it, w- it was touch and go for a bit. So, and when they told me that, I knew intuitively that that probably made the difference. Could be wrong, but that's, that's what I felt. So that's, that's kind of my comment on that.
1: It's, um, that's an amazing story, Paul.
0: Well, <laughs> it's what happened, but it came naturally. I, I'm sure plenty of people do this you know but I think it was just in the resolute command nature of the instructions like mm-hmm. I'm not settling for anything else I'm sorry no excuses you know what you need to do do it do it now don't yeah. stop I'm taking nothing no other um, excuses kind of thing anyway and that's probably that sort of tough love thing
1: yeah no, congratulations you know yeah that's, that's really cool
0: thank you Anyway, I, that's about all I can add to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, that's what I've got here. I'm not suggesting that that is the totality of complementary uh, treatments. I think it's an example of, of some that are based on, you know, some pretty good science. You know, there will be many more treatments, so please don't think it's limited to this. Uh, but these are some examples, and the main point I want to make is that these are all add-ons to what you are already doing, which are powerful and good treatments. But the more fronts that you can attack this cancer from, uh, the more likely you are to have to have a positive outcome. So, you know, that's that's the message uh, here, and I hope that it will create more hope for people that um, currently have a cancer diagnosis, but also for people to think about preventing cancer as well, because many of these things are relevant to cancer prevention as well. So, yeah, that's, that's a little look at the complementary uh, treatment of cancer.
0: Again, totally usable information, Glenn. Thank you so much. It's going to... Resonate with a lot of people. I know that again from personal experience. Not trying to make it about me, but the empowerment through information can never be understated. It can never be underestimated. I don't think so. And this is, you know, this is a horror story when when it happens. It really is. Initially, anyway, you sort of get over the shock. And I would say to people too, just pace your response to it as well.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah.
0: So thank you, Paul. Thank you, Glenn. Now, here's the thing. We're on Wednesday morning, but the next Health Hacks will be, will shift. It will move to Monday morning. So um, still be Dr. Glenn Davies and uh, we'll still be, you know, same mission, but it will be on a Monday and uh, that's where we're landing for some time. So this is our last Wednesday morning um, Health Hacks. Next week, it'll be Monday. So looking forward to that, Glenn.
1: All right, we'll see you on Monday, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.